Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, uh, please grab them and open them with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We have been studying this gospel for a couple of months now. We find ourselves in chapter 10, and uh, we are not going to be able to get through the entire chapter today, so we've divided it into two sections, and we are looking at an interaction that Jesus has with a couple of people, and there are some questions, and Jesus provides some answers. So the title of the message today is Question and Answers, because Jesus is going to be questioned by the Pharisees about personal questions with marriage and divorce and family. And then uh, we're also going to see a rich young ruler. He's going to ask some spiritual questions to Jesus, and he's going to provide some insights on the spiritual matters of life. And then we're also going to see the disciples follow up with the question of eternal matters. And so Jesus is going to address those. So the, the point that we want to remember today is that Jesus tackles tough questions with simple explanations. And like I said, it deals with personal, spiritual, and eternal. But if you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, we are in a critical point in Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Mark because he's beginning to shift his focus and predict his future suffering and sacrifice on the cross, which is really the purpose of his coming. In the previous chapter, chapter 9, we saw the transfiguration of Jesus where the disciples, three disciples, got to see Jesus um, in all of his glory and his majesty. But Jesus was continuing to heal and, and to preach and to teach. But he's also bringing up this important principle, which is really the key to the title of our series, Servant Savior, which is describing the, the secret to greatness in the kingdom of heaven. And the secret to greatness is really service. You, you and I, as followers of Jesus, cannot have a significant life apart from service to him and service to others. And that really is the way of Jesus. It's modeled by Jesus. In fact, in chapter 10 is where we get our key verse for this series in Mark, which Jesus says, I have come not to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so we're picking up on these themes of service, and Jesus is going to model that ultimately through his sacrifice on the cross. But there is quite a bit to get to. We're going to jump into Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. The story continues. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again, and, he was, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him. So we're immediately told about the motive behind the question. And we know that the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees, they were conspiring together to destroy Jesus, to discredit Jesus and his ministry. And they're trying to test him. And notice that Jesus doesn't bring up marriage and divorce. He's not going around picking out people's flaws and failures and personal life issues. He's actually addressing a question that is brought to him. And so in the answer to this question, Jesus is going to go back to the foundation, really the biblical foundation of marriage 
and, uh, and really the source of why we have brokenness in marriage relationships and brokenness in homes. And so he's asked this question about divorce, and Jesus answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? I think this is a very good principle. If uh, you know, you're ever asked a question, a deep question, you really don't know the motives behind questions that people are asking you. One of the really good principles is to turn around and ask the same question back. It gives you time to think about it because you don't want to answer too quickly, but it also gives you a little bit of insight as far as their interpretation and understanding of what their answer is to that same question. And oftentimes, that question will be answered by them aside from you. So it'll save you a little bit of grief as well. So he asks them, well, what did Moses command you? And then they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. Everyone say hardness. The hardness of heart. And so uh, we're going to focus in on this word because really Jesus identifies hardness of heart as the source of this type of uh, brokenness in relationships. But from the beginning, now he goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, but from the beginning of creation, it was not so. If you look back at Matthew's account of this, Jesus says it was not so. So according to the original blueprint and design of marriage as God instituted, as God prescribed, as God designed marriage in Genesis chapter 2 between a a husband and a wife, a male and a female, uh, Jesus presided over that first marriage. And this original intent from creation, God made them male and female. Now that's different. In fact, these scriptures are under attack in our culture today that a marriage, is, a marriage is being redefined in our, our world, in politics, in, in culture, sexual identity as well, between male and female. But we need to be very clear about what the Scripture says. And the Scripture says that God created male and female to be in His image. And in the male and female created order, God designed marriage to be between a husband and a wife, between a male and a female. And therefore... Uh, in verse 9, Jesus says, What God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So the disciples follow up with Jesus and say, Hey, can you explain this? This is a tough thing. How do, you, how do we understand this? And he said, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples say, well, it's better than just no one should marry. And Jesus goes on to talk about, uh, about celibacy, about being a eunuch uh, by choice for the kingdom of heaven. A eunuch is just somebody who is personally devoted as a single person to pleasing and serving the Lord. And so Jesus addresses that in the other gospel, but it's just part of the conversation that is happening. Now, we're just going to read these verses and go back and make mention because I, I think it's important to, to, to um, include the children in this whole marriage, divorce, family sort of issue. And then they brought little children, verse 13, to Jesus that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and, displeased and said to them, Let the children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little 
child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, just as a matter of principle, for us, we practice baby dedications here at the church. We had one last week, and we'll have a couple more in the coming weeks. And uh, it really comes from this verse. It's not a matter of securing a child's salvation, because the Bible says that there is a point in which we all need to personally make that profession of faith in Jesus Christ knowingly and willingly. I don't know what age that is, It can vary from person to person, but uh, a baby dedication in the practice of bringing children to Jesus and praying a blessing over them is exactly what Jesus did right here in the Gospels. Now, I think it's really interesting that we have Jesus praying for children in homes that potentially are dealing with divorce and brokenness, and that's, I think, important because children need a lot of prayer, and uh, children in in the in the, the homes and even in the schools that uh, are experiencing a lot of brokenness in the home and then maybe they're growing up in a in a single parent home or a broken home or uh, a lot of troubles and challenges and difficulties pressures and depression and anxiety and uh, addiction and abuse all kinds of stuff and uh, Jesus recognizes the children need a lot of prayer and uh, so as parents we're encouraged we're encouraged to prayerfully dedicate and bring our, our children to the Lord. But I'm just going to pause there and make mention of a couple of things. And really want to zoom back because I don't want any, any one of us in this room. I know we all have many different experiences in marriage and maybe even in, in divorce, in personal failures and, and, um, and, and tragedies in life. Uh, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. I don't want this to be a condemning thing, but Jesus is addressing these personal questions. And I really want to zoom back and understand the foundational biblical understanding of marriage as Jesus describes it in Genesis. But then also just touch base on a couple of things. Maybe we can identify whether or not we have a hard heart or whether our heart is starting to lean towards hardness because the Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can know it? And then we're told in the scriptures that we should guard our hearts above all else because out of it flow the issues of life. And so we're not talking about a physical condition where your heart and your arteries and all that sort of stuff is, is calcifying. We're talking about who you really are and the seat of your emotions and seat of your personality is becoming hard against God or against people or against things. And uh, the Bible says that we should should soften our hearts. We should be open to the things of God. And so first we see Jesus address the fidelity in marriage. And he uses the word oneness. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one. So we have these principles of leaving one identity or one family and cleaving and creating an entirely new identity. So in fidelity, we have this oneness. So as a male and as a female, as a husband and as a wife prior to marriage, you have individuality. You have two individuals coming into a relationship and bringing all of their baggage, all of their experiences, um, all of their personalities to create, listen, this is important, a new identity a new identity in this marriage relationship. And this new identity is to be exclusive. Notice you leave one to cleave to the other. It's an exclusive relationship between a husband and a wife. And that's why Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5, he would talk about how a husband ought to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And that 
type of love is, is, is sacrificial. It's, it's in a serving way, and it's a, in a sanctifying way. But uh, Paul also said to the wives that wives uh, should be uh, in a marriage relationship, should uh, be um, uh, respectful and loving and submissive, both submitting one to another as unto the Lord. So if a husband is loving his wife as Christ loved the church, and a wife is uh, honoring and respecting her husband, then you have a foundation upon from the very beginning of what God had designed. This is the fidelity and the oneness. You see, God designed marriage to be a permanent union. He says, from the beginning it was not so. But because of the hardness of heart, there is this brokenness. And we don't need to think too hard about all the brokenness that we experience in life. This world is broken. It will be restored. It will be healed, ultimately. But God designed this marriage relationship to be a permanent union between husband and wife from the very beginning. This new identity and exclusive relationship. However, because of this brokenness, we have introduced into our relationships. Well, one is adultery. One is just sin, sinfulness. And when you have the fidelity that is broken or the loyalty that is broken, then you have a breakdown of trust. And this is where we see the hardness of heart. And basically what Jesus is saying, that the hardness in the heart leads to brokenness in the home. When we have a hardness of heart, and I think it might be easy to say that, but what does it really look like to have a hard heart? I wanted to identify just a couple of things. One is the source of a hard heart. And the Bible talks very clearly that Personal brokenness can be a result of hardness of heart. And what I mean by that is every single one of us has experienced pain in life. We've either been abused or betrayed or rejected by someone close to us, or we've gone through some experience that caused a lot of pain. And usually it's at the hands of those closest to us. So what happens when, our, when we experience brokenness in life? Well, a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of hardness begins to create in our lives. And we distance ourselves. We put up walls or we separate and we, we protect ourselves so that we aren't exposed to pain anymore. Brokenness can be a source of hardness of heart. So we can all go around the room and say, well, we are prone to having a hard heart because every single one of us has experienced brokenness. The second thing the Bible talks about as the source of hardness of heart is sinfulness. And none of us are excluded from that as well. The Bible says all is sin and falls short of the glory of God. The lusts of the flesh and just living in this body, sinfulness in rebellion against God results in hardness of heart. Why? Because we don't want to do what God says and we want to fight against it and we want to just do our own way. And so that results in a little bit of hardness against God and a little bit of hardness against other people. So none of us in this room or those watching online are immune to having a hard heart. However, we also need to identify some of the symptoms so that we can determine whether or not we have a bit of a hard heart. Well, if we have brokenness in our lives and sinfulness in our lives, that's going to show up in a number of ways. One is through selfishness. When we're selfish, we're only thinking about ourselves. We are self-preserving. Now, selfishness, if you read the Bible, is not one of the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> it's actually opposite, selflessness. That's what Jesus is teaching in the Gospel of Mark. And so when we're selfish, we're not looking out for the interests of others. We're always consumed about ourselves. We're self-preserving, and we're, we're interested about our own needs, and we cut off the needs. We don't have the eyes and the compassion of Jesus towards other people. So not only are we selfish, but listen, this is a key. I think uh, it hits me a lot personally. We're, there's also numbness. 
We no longer care for the things that we should care about. We no longer have a heart for the things that God has a heart for. We are no longer passionate about the things that we used to be passionate about. There's just this type of numbness in our lives. So, okay, now we're drilling down a little bit deeper. You might be thinking, oh, my goodness, I have a hard heart today. Oh, what do I do? Well, glad you asked because there's a solution. The Bible says that in order to solve a hard heart, there needs to be confession. We confess our sin. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we confess our sin, then we need to acknowledge that we do have a selfish attitude and we do have sinfulness in our lives. And God's going to heal and God's going to mend. But also, God has given us a very important tool in relationships. Not only a vertical relationship with God, but also horizontal relationships with other people. And it starts with an F. And it's the word forgiveness. The Bible says that we should not let the sun go down on our wrath, nor give place to the devil. But we should forgive others, even as God in Christ forgave us. You want to solve hardness of heart? If you recognize some of that in your life right now, then confess it to God. There's authenticity and honesty and transparency before the Lord as well as before others extending forgiveness. Because just as a broken heart became hard, so... A hard heart must be broken in order to be healed. You got to break that hard heart up in order to be healed. And the best way, the Bible says, and that you can heal a hard heart is to soften it through confession and forgiveness. And so Jesus is saying here in this relationship, not only the marriage relationship, which really is a picture of the relationship between God and the church, between God and us, But uh, we're also told that it is important for us to be holy and pure. Jesus talks to those who are single. So we don't want to leave anyone out here. In whatever experiences you may have, Jesus uses the word celibacy or, or even a eunuch. You know, Matthew talks about that. But it's important for us to remember that a single person has a singular passion in pleasing God. And if you're single, then you have an opportunity in your life right now. You might be praying for a spouse, and that's really good. But your future spouse, if God has that in your will, in the will for your life, needs you to be the closest to Jesus you could ever be. And as you pray for that future spouse, that future spouse needs to be as close to Jesus as well. And so when you devote yourself singularly to Jesus, if you don't have any distractions in life and other relationships, then just hold on for the ride because God's going to bless you and, and use you. And you have this passion in pleasing the Lord because uh, Paul talks about in First Corinthians how when you're married, you have an interest to please your spouse. And that's a good thing. You want to please them and honor them and bless them and serve them and minister to them. But you have an opportunity as a single person right now to please the Lord and to serve him. So just go for it. Jump. Dive in deep. you got all the time in the world, so we'll see you all week, next week. Just here. No, just kidding. You, however God leads you, serve him. Just pour out all your energy and effort and strength um, to him. And then lastly, I would just say in, with the children is just beautiful dynasty of the home. We're a home that is living and striving for what God had designed in marriage between husbands and wives. And that doesn't mean that even if you are married, that you won't experience hardness towards your spouse or you won't experience numbness or selfishness or brokenness in your home. But if that's taking place, let me encourage you to humble yourself before the Lord and humble yourself before one another 
and confess that. But the children pick up on what is happening in the home. And that's scary, but also a blessing. It's scary because as a parent, I'm, my wife and I, we have four kids and uh, three teenage daughters and a four-year-old crazy boy. And so, uh, you know, they see and they pick up on everything that mommy and daddy say to one another. They see and they pick up on how daddy fails at loving Sarah as Christ loved the church. And if we go down all the failures in my life, that would just, we wouldn't have enough time. We'd have to extend the service. But um, they pick up on that. And so our kids need a lot of prayer that we're encouraged to pray for our children and, and, uh, and, and, and point them to Jesus in our home. So we're dealing with these personal life issues and, and questions. And I think I, I can imagine many of our minds are just kind of rolling around what Jesus is saying here and, and applying it personally to your experience and maybe even past experience. I just, I want you to know that God's not condemning you if you have some brokenness in your past relationships. You know, the Bible says that he's not condemning you. And if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away and all things become new. From this moment forward, you can dedicate your life to pleasing and loving and serving him and having a soft and open heart to the Lord and to others. And so um, the story continues as we talk a little bit more about some of these questions. And uh, the remaining verses actually tie together, but we've broken them up in two separate sections. One is dealing with the rich young ruler, and then secondly, or thirdly, is dealing with the disciples. The story continues in verse 17. Now as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running, so there's urgency, he knelt down before Jesus, there's humility, and asked him, there's openness, there's teachability, right? Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So this man is obviously considering spiritual matters. And so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Now, just a side note, these aren't all the commandments. Jesus is addressing the relational components of this man's life. And so he brings them up here. And he answered, this man answered and said to him, now the other gospels tell us, so that he may be justified before God. Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. So basically he's saying, I've been perfect. I've been a perfect little boy. I've done all the right things. I've been good. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So we'll just pause there. Jesus addresses these spiritual questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? First, we see an observation of this man's living. Secondly, we see an assessment of what he's lacking. And then, unfortunately, he leaves sorrowful. First is the good. This man is looking at, for ways to earn God's approval. He's looking at his own life. He says, I've been perfect. I've been a good little boy. I've done all the right things. Now, the Bible teaches that doing good things is not the way to getting a godly life. It's actually a reverse to do good things. That's organized religion. Organized religion will say, well, I have to do these things. I have to follow these rules. And if I do them a right way in a certain amount of time, then 
uh, God will love me and God will accept me and, and I've earned his approval and his love and, and his salvation. But the Bible teaches the complete opposite. The Bible teaches that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when we come to God in our brokenness, then he makes us good. And that's actually different than the culture. The culture says, you are a good person. Your best life now. You can do it, you know. And the Bible says that we are not good in our human nature. So we get over that and acknowledge that we are not good, then we are really far down the road in acknowledging that we need God's forgiveness and we need his, his, his love and to come to God on his terms. So doing good things. Now, we should be doing good things. The Bible says that we should let our light show shine, so shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. But that's after we have come to Christ on his terms. That's after he has made us new. The old has passed away and all things become new. And now we begin to uh, shine the good works of Jesus Christ in our lives. But it's not the other way around. You don't get a godly life by doing good things. And Jesus says, if you really want to be perfect, if you want to be perfect. Now I'm looking around the room. I see a lot of perfect people. But when I look at my life, I don't see a lot of perfection. And when you go down the list and you acknowledge, well, I've done really good at this, but there are some things that I've really been a failure at. And if you want to earn God's salvation, then you and I need to be perfect. Perfection is required to earn God's love and salvation. That's just the law. That's just the scriptures. But that's why Jesus came. You see, the Bible teaches that Jesus is sinless. He's pure. He was perfect. And he died the sinner's death that I deserved. He came and, uh, to forgive me of my sins. And so he's the perfect one. I'm not perfect. If I was perfect, then I can earn God's salvation and I could earn God's love. But I'm not perfect. That's why it required that a perfect one came. And Jesus, as John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the perfect one in the sacrifice for us. And so, unfortunately, this man left sorrowful. There's this interaction, follow the story. He says, you know what? I'm really close to heaven. I'm doing it really good. But Jesus says, you lack this one thing. Now, maybe you could consider right now if Jesus was to say something to you along these lines. What do you lack in your life? What is a one thing? Well, there's probably a couple things, and you could list them. Maybe talk to God about them as we close our service today, or even right now. Could be a couple of things that we lack. But the problem in this situation with the, with the rich young ruler was that his possessions had a hold of him. And he was very rich. And basically the story says that it's very hard for us to let go of the things that are holding so tightly to us. That you and I cannot hold on to Jesus and junk at the same time. And I, I say the word junk because basically worldly possessions are, are, are junk. We can't take them with us. Paul the Apostle said that I have acquired so much. I have the greatest degrees. I have the greatest pedigree. I've earned so much, titles and positions. And I count them as rubbish, as junk, as garbage. So much so as I can excel to the knowledge of Christ. That the worldly possessions, as they say, you don't see a hearse carrying a U-Haul right behind them, right? There's... You know, we don't hold on to these things. Now, Jesus goes on to talk about the riches and understanding those material things and the possessions that can have a hold of us. It is not a sin to be rich. In fact, the Bible says that riches are from the Lord. And if, so, if you are a person 
who has the ability to whatever you touch just turns to gold, and whatever you venture in just makes money. Uh, as you're a Christ follower, let me encourage you to just give God all the glory for that, and then tie 10% to Quest Church. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Please do. Um, no, that's a joke, but, you know, give to the Lord. Give to his work and give to his ministry. I just saw recently in an article in the news, I think, just this week, that the founder of Hobby Lobby gave over the entire interest of his company uh, because he quoted that scripture. He said that riches are from the Lord and I have a higher calling in life. I don't want to be tied to the possessions of this world, but I want to invest it into the kingdom work and ministry of God while I have a chance to do so. And I thought, wow, that's pretty awesome. So if you've got the ability to make a lot of money, well, that's good. Riches are not a sin. However, Jesus goes on to talk about the vice that is to riches, and it's in verse 23. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice this isn't a question. It's a statement. The man is walking away. He turns to his disciples, probably in amazement, saying, it is super hard for people who have riches. As this man is walking away, to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. Aha, here's the secret. The secret to the riches that have a hold of our heart is trusting in them. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. It's trusting in riches. It's what Jesus talked about in the parable of the soil, which is the condition of the heart, that those who are consumed and choked out by the riches of this world can no longer serve and follow Jesus because they care for these worldly possessions more than they care in following Jesus and letting go of those things. You can't hold on to junk and Jesus at the same time. And letting go of those things so that you can hold on to Jesus is important. Trusting in the riches. Ah, look what I've built. Oh, look what I have. Oh, look at all of my resources. Look at my ability. Ah, I'm going to take it easy. I have built for myself a kingdom. But listen, friend, if you're a Christ follower, the purpose and plan of life on planet Earth is not to build your kingdom, but it's to build the kingdom of God. And you can build the kingdom of God with the riches that God has given you through your business, through your company, through your smarts and intellect and savvy, and all these sort of things that God has given you, and you can reinvest that into the kingdom of heaven. And so he says, those who trust in riches, aha, now we know. We understand what was wrong with this man. He, not that he was rich, but that he trusted in his riches, and he wasn't willing to let go of that so that he could hold on to Jesus. And he says in verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's a hyperbole, it's exaggerated speech to say it's very difficult for somebody to let go of those things if they're trusting in them. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Very good question. But Jesus answered at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. Now it's, we quote that or put it on a bumper sticker and put it on our screen, say, with God, all things are possible. But notice what, in the context of this verse, what is being said here, with God, all things according to salvation are possible if we just let go and let God. If we trust him, not trusting in riches, not trusting in ability, not trusting in ourselves, but trusting in what Jesus has done for us, then all things are possible. That God can get a hold of even Pharaoh, even a king, even a ruler, even somebody in the highest position, and he can turn and soften his heart, 
or he can turn and harden his heart towards God. He can use those riches for his purpose and plan, or he can do the opposite. And notice that the following verses talk about how Peter and the disciples say, look, we've left everything. We've left father and mother. And Jesus goes on to say how there will be not only in this life a reward for you, but also in the life to come. So if you are following Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, and loving your spouse uh, with the love of Jesus, then earthly sacrifice and service to God yields a heavenly return and reward. Oftentimes in business dealings, we're looking at the bottom line. Or even if we're just looking at our, um, our, our personal budget and we're looking at the bottom line, we think, well, I can't tithe this month because I just don't have anything. Well, if we're giving first and foremost to the Lord and saying, God, actually, to give you 10% is kind of robbing you. You have all of it. What do you want me to give you, Lord? What do you want me to surrender to you? It's not about a percentage. It's about a heart. God's looking for just generous generosity of the heart, a heart of generosity and giving to him, letting go of those things and saying, God, I'm going to trust you with it. There is a heavenly return and a reward. It's the greatest investment. To invest in the kingdom of heaven now is the greatest investment. Now, you might not see a return on that investment right now or even immediately, but Jesus says there will be an eternal reward for those who diligently serve him. So the solution that Jesus provides is very hard for some people, but it actually is the easiest. And Jesus says here that salvation is possible because of Jesus' payment, not our performance. It's Jesus' payment. I think that really ties together the rich young ruler's question about spiritual matters and the disciples about understanding how then does someone get saved. That salvation is possible because of what Jesus has done, the payment of Jesus on the cross as the perfect one, not our performance, not how much we give to the church, not how many mission trips we've gone on, not how many times you've gone to church this month, not how many times you've read your Bible. But friends, listen, we can't dismiss those things because those are the good works and the practices and the rhythms of a disciple of Jesus Christ, being in fellowship one with another. But the hardness of heart says, I don't need to go to church. Those are a bunch of hypocrites over there. Well, yeah, we are a bunch of hypocrites, and we're a bunch of broken people. So why don't you join us? Because you are too. (laughs) Join us. Join the club, and we'll help each other become better. We'll help each other become more Christ-like. We'll pool all our resources like they did in in Acts chapter 2, and they'll look for the widow who, who, who has need, and we'll build the structure at her house and we'll paint something and we'll help and we'll fix and we'll pick up people and bring them to church and we'll love the orphan and 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 the prisoner all these things just coming together it's jesus's payment and when he makes us he's the one that makes us perfect he's the one that makes us sinless he's the one that makes us pure so that's the encouragement for us today we'll have our worship team come on up couple takeaways for us. Probably there's a lot going on that you're thinking, wow, okay, God, you got my number this week, right? I hear it week in and week out, and it's not that I'm calling your mom and asking for gossip on you. (laughs) Uh, It's the Holy Spirit. Week in, week out, you open up the scriptures, and if you're willing to be teachable, and you're open to God speaking to you and changing you, then you're going to have a lot of aha moments on Sunday morning, or when you read your Bible on Monday morning. You're going to have a lot of those moments where God is saying, yep, I've got a bit of hard heart towards him or towards her.
Yep, I've got a little bit of bitterness and selfishness. Yep, I've grown numb to the things that I should be really passionate about. Yeah, God, it is time that I confess and I forgive. And as if you are married, let me encourage you to strengthen your marriage relationship. There's all kinds of creative ways. And we're looking at bringing in resources. We've got a couple of them in our bookstore uh, that we're refreshing for the fall. Uh, There's devotionals for men. There's devotionals for for women, uh, marriage and parenting books, um, Bible studies as well. So those are great resources. I encourage you to stop by the bookstore over the coming weeks. I think we've got some new ones in there um, today as well. But going on dates, reading the Bible, praying together, spending time with one another. There's many opportunities that we have to strengthen and devote ourselves to our marriage relationships if you're married or if you're single than to devote yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a single parent, then God's got you. He's got your back. He's supporting you. He's not condemning you. He's helping you. He's strengthening you. Even when you don't have enough strength at the end of the day because you're working two or even three jobs and you're helping with make food and all kinds of stuff. Life is hard, isn't it? (laughs) But thankfully, Jesus is loving even in the hard moments. But also, we're encouraged in these verses to not allow possessions to take possession of us. Hold on loosely to the things that God has given you and reinvest them into eternal things. And then lastly, as Jesus says to his disciples, you know what? I commend you, Peter. I commend you, Paul. I commend you, John, for forsaking all and following me. Uh, we're encouraged to double down on doing the same thing and serving others with the time that we've been given. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these verses as we talk and read and study and work through them together as a congregation. And we are challenged, we're convicted, (laughs) we're comforted, and we're encouraged. All of the emotions that we can experience and dealing with personal questions, spiritual questions, and eternal questions. I pray that you would do the deep heart work that is needed in each one of our lives to heal a hard and broken heart, to heal a relationship, to heal marriage, Pour out your Holy Spirit in all of these circumstances, in all of these homes, upon all of these children, upon these husbands and wives and fathers and mothers, upon those who are rich. You know, we can be rich in material possessions, but we can also be rich in eternal things. I pray for the businessmen in this this room. I pray that you would bless their businesses as they seek to serve you and advance your kingdom. I pray you'd bring clients and give them wisdom. I pray you would help them with honesty and integrity, that they would make the right decisions in dealing with the 401ks of their employees and the business transactions that take place where no one sees. May you bless the CEOs and the managers and the supervisors in this room 
bless their hands to serve you, to serve others. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.